Hi everyone, Griffin Marie here and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on a review of CIO's latest yield and income publication, including recapping fixed income performance in the first quarter and CIO's positioning guidance, as well as a preview of next week, of course. So I am excited to be joined today by the dynamic duo of Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden, Senior Credit Strategist, Americas from the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Frank, Barry, it's great to be back with you and looking forward to our conversation today. Likewise, great to be here. Griffin, great to be here. So guys, you both took part in authoring the Yield and Income Monthly Report last week. Uh, can you run us through some of the developments we've seen over the first quarter in, in fixed income assets? Well, I'll start on the credit point of view. And really, you know, it's been all about interest rates in the first quarter of this year. But when you're talking about investment-grade credit, that equated to very poor total return performance. It was down 4.5%. That was the second worst quarterly performance ever for the asset class, besides the global financial crisis in 2008. Now, given how bad the performance was, it's pretty remarkable, though, how orderly and well-behaved credit markets were. And really, that was a function that risk assets and credit markets really did well during the quarter. So investment grade spreads tightened by about six basis points and high yield spreads tightened by about 50 basis points. So within the asset classes, you know, credit um, allowed for um, excess returns that were positive relative to treasuries when you strip out the interest rate component. And a lot of the trends we thought would take place uh, during the beginning of the year, you know, did, but by a larger magnitude because of how much rates, interest rates rose. So uh, just to highlight a few things, you know, with investment grade, you had shorter maturities really outperforming longer maturities. Like the only way to get a positive return in investment grade was to focus on the very short end of that yield curve. And lower quality bonds in terms of credit rating, like triple Bs, performed better than single A's. Um, both were negatively impacted by interest rates, but the credit spread tightening was a bit better for triple Bs than single A's. On a credit sector standpoint, uh, two sectors that we thought uh, represented some good value headed into this year actually were standouts in their performance, and that was energy, and specifically uh, midstream uh, energy within that sector, and also telecom uh, were also standouts in how much their credit spread uh, tightened. So, you know, generally the trends that we're looking at played out, but again, to a bit greater magnitude because of how how much interest rates wound up rising for the quarter. Yeah, and when it comes to preferreds, uh, they were also clearly impacted by higher rates throughout the quarter, although not, uh, they performed better than in, in investment-grade corporates and, and other credit sectors. Overall, the preferred market uh, posted a marginal loss of just about 0.5 to, uh, 0.4 to 0.5%. But there were a variation below the surface. If we look at the par, the different par sectors in the preferred market, you have your $1,000 par preferreds and your $25 par preferreds. The $1,000 par preferreds tend to have a variable rate structure. Sometimes it's a fixed to floating rate structure or a fixed rate reset, whereas the $25 par preferreds tend to have fixed coupons that are uh, coupons that are fixed for life. $25 par preferreds also tend to be more heavily influenced by volatility in ETF flows, uh, specifically flows into and out of ETFs specializing in preferreds. And those characteristics ca contributed to more volatility 
in the performance of the $25 par preferreds during the first quarter. So if we look at, uh, if we break down uh, the month-to-month performance throughout the quarter, again, it was pretty flat throughout the quarter, but looking at the month-to-month performance, $25 par preferreds gained 2.8% in March, which is a pretty powerful, uh, strong monthly return. But that followed back-to-back monthly losses of 1.7% and 1.5% in January and February, respectively, whereas the $1,000 par uh, preferred sector uh, was was uh, demonstrated more stability, more closer to the flat line month over month throughout the quarter. But the big story Griff, as, as uh, Barry alluded to, really was the rapid move in interest rates throughout the quarter with the 10-year Treasury yield starting the year at 0.9% and ending the first quarter above 170. And if we look uh, within the quarter from late March through mid, uh, excuse me, from late January through mid-March, the 10-year Treasury yield climbed by roughly 10 basis points per week during that time period, 10 basis points per week for a seven-week period. And part of what what has driven uh, the move in rates is the more optimistic uh, outlook, really. And, you know, you started the question asking about the yield and income report, which is a a monthly report that Barry and I contribute to, uh, among other many other authors. It's a multi-authored report. The latest yield and income report is entitled Bigger, Faster, Stronger. And that refers to the fact that if we uh, compare the current environment with the outlook at the start of the year, Fiscal stimulus is turning out to be larger than expected. Vaccine distribution is happening faster than expected. And the economic rebound is turning out to be stronger than expected. So as life normalizes, quote unquote, as the economy reopens, as activity moves back toward pre-pandemic levels, it makes sense for interest rates uh, represented by Treasury yields to do the same. But that rapid adjustment uh, in in sentiment and that rapid move in Treasury yields did uh, present a headwind, a broad headwind to, to most sectors, investment-grade corporates, high yields, uh, preferreds, munis. Uh, so it was a, it was a uh, somewhat challenging quarter overall, Griff, for fixed income, broadly speaking. Challenging, and I would also say an interesting uh, one for fixed income investors. So uh, going off that, Frank, Barry, can you, can you update us on CIO's positioning guidance within the asset class, and what are some of the notable catalysts you'll be monitoring on a going-forward basis? Well, Star, I mean, in terms of interest rates, um, you know, I referenced the, the, the rapid move that we saw over a very short period of time in things like the 10-year Treasury yield. We don't expect that that February-March trajectory in Treasury rates to continue. Uh, it, it, in our view, the bulk of the near-term move in, in Treasury rates and interest rates has likely uh, happened. It's, for the most part, it's over for now, and we expect to see more range-bound rates uh, for the time being, with with rates, however, maintaining an upward bias uh, for for the, the next few quarters, so that could be a potential headwind uh, as we move throughout the year. As I drill down into specifically preferreds, which is my area of focus, our latest sector update is entitled "The Heat Is On," and that refers to the fact that the Treasury market has turned up the heat on preferreds when it comes to. Uh, evaluation and performance. On the performance side, as I just mentioned, preferreds have been pretty resilient. Uh, they, they, they perform better than investment grade corporates um, and, and uh, really close to the flat line on a year-to-date basis. And the reason for that is that spreads, those credit spreads, those, you know, those risk premiums have absorbed most of the rate move. So that's good news, but the flip side is that there's less capacity 
in those yield spreads, in those risk premiums than there was at the start of the year. Now, valuations are not yet overheated. There's just not as much uh, uh, absorption capability, so to speak, in those spreads for any further rate volatility from here. So we think when it comes to preferred, this will be a base building year for preferred investors uh, with, with you know flat to marginal returns for the full year. And that's coming off of a, a pretty good year last year when preferreds returned more than 7% and nearly 18% the year before. So, um, you know, we think investors should, you know, reset their expectations accordingly for, for 2021 in the preferred space and maybe average into the market over the coming months. Um, but that's on the preferred side. I don't know if Barry may have some comments on, on the other sectors. Yeah, just in the other credit segments more broadly, that you know the uh, theme of less capacity and credit spreads to absorb higher rates uh, is also pertinent. And for the investment grade asset class, you know we think that means sticking to a similar playbook. We're um, preferring the short end of the uh, curve in investment grade, really within about one to five years. We see those maturities performing better through the remainder of the year. And among credit sectors. Um, we continue to think that those with a wider spread level than the overall uh, market index will probably uh, end the year uh, better because of their coupon and income component against the backdrop of very strong economic growth and improving fundamentals. And when it comes to credit ratings, even though the spreads between triple B bonds and single A bonds are historically narrow, we do think, again, that the triple B cohort will likely outperform because of just their higher coupon income for the remainder of the year. So, you know, uh, those recommendations within investment grade credit really uh, are intact. But that said, uh, at a broader level, you know, CIO remains least preferred on investment grade uh, with little spread cushion to help absorb rising rates. Um, the total return I mentioned in the first quarter was down 4.5%. That's improved already to down 3.5% because of just stabilization in rates so far in April. Um, but as we look, think about total uh, end-of-year returns, you know, we think that they may not be too much better than where they are today for investment grade. And we would continue to favor um, the high-yield bond segment where there's a, a neutral uh, view of that asset class in CIO because of the higher income, you know, that it offers. Uh, as well as uh, senior loans and leverage loans, where there's still our most preferred view uh, because of the floating rate nature of that asset class and uh, spread levels, you know, which are um, attractive relative to higher rating segments of, of fixed income. And we think, you know, should uh, stay relatively range-bound, again, against the, the strong growth environment that we expect uh, to occur throughout the remainder of the year. Absolutely appreciate the the summary of your positioning guidance. Uh, so, what what are some of the notable macro data points released this week that you guys want to highlight for us today? Well, the data points show very strong uh, economic readings uh, in March, and this week we had ISM services that rose uh, above sixty. It was the highest reading for the index uh, going back to uh, nineteen ninety seven. That joins you know the strong ISM manufacturing data release last week, as well as the strong March jobs report last week. So it's pretty clear that there was a pickup in March. Um, also key this week was minutes from the Fed March FOMC meeting. And um, the market really um, took the meeting minutes with a bit of a, a calming uh, type of reaction. 
And that was really based on the fact that there's you know, little doubt uh, that the Fed will remain dovish for the foreseeable uh, future. And also just some indication that the committee is cognizant and they'll be careful on how they message the eventual uh, tapering of their asset purchases of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. And the language that, that's the tapering was that a number of participants you know, highlighted the importance of how they communicate uh, that language. Um, so the, the key there was, you know, a number, uh, which is more than a few, um, you know, which indicates that that's something that the community is really cognizant of and will um, pay attention to how that's communicated um, well in advance uh, of the time that they think that there would be a change in the tapering pace. Uh, so that was also a bit calming uh, for the markets uh, as well. Um, those were two main data releases. We also just had the producer price index uh, this morning, which uh, came in a bit hotter than expected, uh, up 1% month over month uh, in March versus consensus survey at 0.5%. So clearly, um, you know, some uh, running a bit hotter on that PPI and clearly inflation data going forward will be something that market participants will be looking at very closely. Uh, you know, to indicate um, how that might affect uh, the Fed's thinking uh, in terms of their their taper um, uh, decisions. And the only thing I would add in terms of data points, and uh, we didn't get this this week, but last Friday when the market was closed, obviously we had the uh, March jobs report and uh, was very strong. I'm sure that, you know, others have, have already spoken about this during the week on on, uh, on the network and on the podcasts. But uh, the March uh, jobs report showed non-farm payrolls increased by uh, 916,000, uh, which is a very large number by historical standards with the revisions to, to prior months. So clearly uh, the uh, continued healing in the labor market uh, continues to occur. Uh, the unemployment rate dropped to 6.0% from 6.2. And overall, a very strong report, but we're still below pre-pandemic uh, employment levels. Uh, if you look at things like the labor participation rate, and that's a key focus for the Fed. Um, as Barry mentioned, we did get the Fed minutes this week. And, you know, one of the things you asked about earlier, Griff, was, was um, sort of catalysts going forward throughout the year. The Fed messaging is really going to be something that market participants, particularly uh, in fixed income markets, but I would say all, all, uh, all sectors will be keenly focused on the Fed messaging because, They've already demonstrated that they are um, shifting their reaction function, and they're uh, demonstrating a much greater tolerance for inflation uh, than they ever did historically. And so all of these data points and the Fed's uh, interpretation of these data points, whether it's uh, uh, the the latest jobs report or uh, the inflation data that Barry mentioned, are going to be uh, a key focus, will continue to be a key focus for the market in uh, for the months to come throughout the year. Absolutely. Well, guys, appreciate the recap of the week that was. Just by way of a final question for us today, what should investors be looking for as they prepare for next week? I'll start. I, I also, you know, one of the, one of the things that was uh, announced uh, last week, in addition to the jobs report on Friday, but uh, uh, I think a day or two before that was President Biden's infrastructure plan. Uh, President Biden uh, unveiled a two trillion dollar plan last week. And this, again, similar to Fed messaging, will be a focus of the markets uh, in, in the months to come as uh, 
as a de- Democratic and, and as the Democrat and Republican lawmakers negotiate what the final package will look like, how will it be paid, uh, how much will, you know taxes will be going up, but how much will they go up? What will the tax rate be uh, for uh, corporations? That's a key question right now, and these mm-hmm. questions will likely evolve in in the months to come as this gets negotiated. Uh, but uh, more near term, in terms of what to expect next week, a couple of important data boy, data points. The Beige Book survey uh, will be out on Wednesday. This is uh, this is uh, a, a key uh, focus of Brian Rose, our, our economist here at CIO. It's one of his favorite uh, da- uh, economic data releases. So that'll be uh, the Beige Book survey will be on Wednesday, and then we get retail sales on Thursday. And of course, market participants are looking for more evidence of continued economic uh, rebound and recovery. So it'll be a, a busy week. I'd also just mention uh, earnings uh, will start next week with the, the big six U.S. banks. So expectations, of course, are for strength in first quarter earnings coming off uh, the low base effects uh, experience at the onset of COVID last year. And from the credit angle, you know, we'll be looking for, you know, growth in, in company earnings, also revenues, uh, which maybe even a little bit um, looked at more closely from the credit point of view uh, to see that the uh, deterioration in company metrics that were, you know, COVID-induced last year can can correct, you know, as the revenues rebound and key credit metrics that are looked at, you know, by rating agencies uh, stand to improve. So um, we're looking forward to the onset of uh, earnings releases this week and from a credit spread point of view, too, you know, we are hovering near um, historical tight levels, you know, for both the investment grade as well as the high-yield asset class. So we'll continue to monitor and see, you know, if levels are, are breached and, you know, we're talking about, in some cases, like all-time lows that we haven't seen uh, for, for high-yield, you know, going back since even before the, the global financial crisis in terms of spread. We're still constructive on these asset classes, as I mentioned, but... Nonetheless, you know, as uh, spreads kind of, uh, you know, move towards those historical thresholds, that'll be something that will that will be notable from uh, the credit point of view as well. Absolutely. Well, Frank, Barry, it was great to be with you this morning. Thank you once again for joining us, and we look forward to having you back on sometime soon to share your insights with us once again. Thank you. Have a good day. Goodbye. And again, we have been joined today by Barry McAlinden and Frank Saleo, Senior Credit Strategist with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com slash CIO. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the UBS trending video series. So, from UBS Studios, I'm Griffin Marie, and thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. 
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.